You are all so, so welcome to this, our 27th episode of Fabulous Flowers TV podcast, brought to you, as always, by me, Lucy Nolan, and on the other side of this flowery table of joy is, as usual, the reason we are here. It is, of course, the wonderfully talented and sometimes almost amusing Paulie Hawkins. Hi there, Paulie. Hi there, Lucy. Almost amusing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, it's lovely to be back. And number 27, amazing. God, we're doing well, and I'm really loving them all. Um, loving our flowery get-togethers, and it's just such a wonderful way to spend 20 minutes sharing some floral wonderment with everyone, don't you reckon? Absolutely, absolutely. So how have things been with you in London this week then, Paulie? All good, thank you. Nice and busy. I've been doing a bit of faux, a bit of kind of all my lovely contracts with some pretty delicious stuff in this week which i've been really really enjoying some really wonderful um great big bloom chrysanthemums which are a wonderful sort of bronzy color absolutely stunning quite unusual and um, a, a good laster in the vases which is what we like and what's going on with you darling oh well um for me obviously a bit of a highlight uh, strictly come dancing is back on my tv box and that for me, particularly this year, I have to mm. say, it's always a guilty pleasure on catch up if I'm out or on a Sunday afternoon with a with a big mug of tea. But this year in particular, I think as we've been rather devoid and lacking in all things joyous, mm. I find the sparkle and the fun and the escapism of Strictly Come Dancing a complete and utter joy and i love love loved it watched it last night it was amazing 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 so yeah i all... loved it too. yeah yeah sorry to interrupt yeah mm. absolutely loved it it was just so nice to see um Claude. i mean then they did so well considering there's no audience but um yeah. you know i thought it was all incredible but let's get started on our floral focus for this week lucy mm -hmm. and i do in fact find myself using these a lot at the moment as they do lend themselves particularly to the autumnal season when i'm creating displays for clients this week's bright and illuminating bloom is the Chinese lantern. Great. Well, that sounds good. Yes, I see what you did there with the illuminating bloom. Chinese lantern. Very good. Um, they are so interesting looking, I have to say. I do actually get these myself from a wonderful local florist near me at this time of year. And I love to have them in a vase on, in my kitchen somewhere. Because they just say autumn, Halloween and all things seasonal. So I am a big, big buyer of these. And uh, yeah, love them, have to say. Looking forward to hearing all about your Chinese lantern stories, Paulie. Yes, yes. I, I just love a Chinese lantern, also known as Philosophilus, but we'll do that later. Um, leave that one to you, darling. Um, <laughs> but whenever I see these cheery and architectural seed pods, I know we are well into autumn and hurtling towards all the wonderful and gorgeous warm berries and cherries. And um, it's just huge fun to clash all those hot colours together in one vase. It's like you're echo echoing what you see in the garden this time of year. So um, I just love it. And, and, the, and the orange pods are just the icing on the cake, providing a fabulous hot colour pop in any vase of bloom. So I'm pleased you're partial to them as well, Lou. Tell me, tell me what you've done with your Chinese lantern pods in the vase. Oh, um, well, I usually try and mix them with something of a sort of deep red colour or um, some foliage. I mm. like getting a bit of autumnal foliage in there. Sometimes go completely bananas and just do a little bit of sort of sweet chestnuts or horse chestnuts or any kind of, you know, warm colours, acer tree, anything I've got, you know, anything I can nick from a neighbour, that kind of thing, just to give it those kind of orangey red autumnal colours, really. But I do love it, I have to say. 
and they are super for seasonal celebrations from Guy Fawkes Night and Harvest Festival to Halloween and, and for our American friends, the good old Thanksgiving. But the Chinese lantern is a must have bloom for this time of year. I, I really think it's so important to really get into autumn as it's quite depressing to go straight from summer to Christmas. We're, um, we're so lucky to have seasons in this country and it's good to immerse yourself with the flowers, flowers, flowers and foliages which accompany it. But um, as a fresh flower slash pod, they are super easy to use and available from any good flower shop. My tip would be to remove the green leaves at the end, as these don't last and can look a bit sad as they wilt quickly. Other than that, they're super duper easy to use. And unlike usual cut flowers, they don't need to be in water. I always add them last of all to an arrangement or a floral decoration, as I say, um, as my vases are usually crammed to bursting, as you know, that's my floral style, more is more. And when there isn't room for even one more stem, you can just nestle the Chinese lanterns amongst the blooms without going anywhere near the water, and I'll be absolutely fine. And as a dried flower, they're a total winner. But for best results, tie them together with a piece of string and hang them upside down in a rustic way in your airing cupboard or somewhere dark and dry, and Bob's your uncle. They're just so versatile for using in a decorative way this time of year. I say go oh, for it. Yes, I love all of that. Absolutely. Well, they are, as you mentioned, the Chinese lantern. It ha also has another name. It is the Fissilis alkagengi, also known to you and me as the Chinese lantern. And you're laughing Sorry. at my presentation of that <laughs> word there poorly. Be careful. You'll get the Latin next Sorry. time. Um. The Chinese lantern, also known as the Japanese lantern, the strawberry ground cherry or winter cherry, is in fact a distant relative of the Cape gooseberry. This species is native to Asia, unlike the rest of Physalis that is native to the Americas. <laughs> That's a bit close for comfort, isn't it? Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Moving I don't on. know what you're talking about. <laughs> it is easily identifiable by the large bright orange to red papery covering over its fruit and that resembles the paper lanterns. It grows naturally in the regions covering South Europe and also South Asia and in Northeast Asia. It's a strong growing perennial plant that thrives year in, year out with small creamy white flowers appearing from July to August, followed by the large bright orange scarlet lanterns. And they are particularly striking and reminiscent of the traditional lanterns that you might see in Chinatown and in Chinese restaurants in any town or city around the world. Hence the name it gets. Chinese lantern plants are absolutely fantastic for a shot of late summer and autumnal interest in any garden or in a planter, on a patio or a roof terrace. The lanterns take on this papery look and add interest right through into early winter. Planted in well-drained areas of the garden or in pots, they're easy to grow, easy to care for, needing next to no maintenance. I like the idea of that. Mm. And once established, they'll thrive in a sunny or shady position in virtually any soil. They are a popular ornamental plant, widely cultivated in temperate regions of the world and very hardy, surviving temperatures of up to minus 20 degrees Celsius. Gosh, well, that's all new knowledge for me. I have to say, I had always assumed that these were sort of almost tropical plants and were not grown here in the UK, but that's not the case. Amazing. Love it. Really amazing. Oh, I love those stories, Lucy. And and, and they'll survive in rubbishy old soil as well, yeah. which is quite a treat, you know. 
Um, but back to another Chinese lantern archive story from my television presenting past. So um, back in the day, 400 years ago, I used to appear regularly um, on This Morning with Richard and Judy. Uh, we'd have to go up to Liverpool and it was always great fun. I was their flower expert and um, there was always some kind of disaster as sort of goes with live TV. Um, but it was always a fun road trip, always a plush hotel. And there was always someone well-known appearing. So um, sitting next to someone like, I don't know, well, someone very famous in the green room. I remember, I remember thinking, what's his name? That, that singer. Oh, I can't think of his name. David Essex. And I could, mm, no, it wasn't him. Gary Barnett. jazzy, snazzy. Michael Bublé. <laughs> he does jazzy. Uh, yes. What? Sitting next to him in the, in the green room. And he was obviously quite newish. And I didn't know who he was. You sat and, next um, to Michael Bublé? In the green room, yes. Oh my but gosh! He was, he was about twelve, you know. It was long. And you time know ago. that his um his grandfather got him to where he was because his grandfather was a plumber in Canada, and he went in to go and fix some plumbing issues in a Canadian nightclub, and persuaded the owner to allow his grandson to perform in lieu of him not charging him for any of his plumbing work. So that's how he got his first gig. I love those stories, Lou. But I must get back to my um, la yeah. Chinese lantern story with yeah. Richard and Judy, slightly overshadowed there by Michael Bublé. Hey, you know, but um, so I was up there and we had to decorate the set um, in the studio for Halloween. And I decided it would be lovely to do garlands of Chinese lanterns, which, uh, listeners, is very, very easy. You get a, a reel of wire, which you get from any hardware shop on a reel as an R-E-E-L. Um, and then you just take the, the lanterns off, stick the wire through and thread them on it into a garlandy way. And it just looks fabulous. Very easy, long lasting. Um, so I'd ordered the blooms to arrive at the studio from my supplier. All seemed fine. The flowers arrived an hour before we went live and the supplier had been un unable to get hold of Chinese lanterns, which were kind of a pivotal thing. My blood went cold and uh, as it was going to be one of the main talking points. Oh, no. Yeah, you sort of think, really? Poor you. Mm, I know. And, you know, the, Rich and Judy were lovely, but, you know, there, there was no room for any nonsense. Anyway, the long and short of it, luckily, there was a faux flower supplier just down the road from the studios. And we sent off a really lovely little, um, what are they called, researcher, who always got the blame for everything, um, down there. And um, they got a few boxes of them over to the studio in a trice. Uh, but these were actually fake ones. They were made of plastic, but they threaded very easily on the wire and nobody noticed they were plastic on air. So it all went well. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank goodness. <laughs> what were the chances of having a faux flower supplier just down the road? That's amazing, Paulie. God, lucky you. Someone was watching over you. It did save the day, I must say, Lucy, definitely. <laughs> mm. Gosh, well, and don't forget, everybody, you can buy Chinese lanterns to grow yourself in your garden from a garden centre or indeed online. So have a bit of a Google there. And please do get in touch with your local florist because they will absolutely definitely, just like mine do, be able to get some in for you so you can dazzle your friends and your family with some autumnal decorations and floral displays. And those Chinese lanterns really do lift it into a really different area, I have to say, I think, Paulie. Definitely. They definitely give it a lovely colour pop. Mm. And another thing you can do, actually, is gathering colourful, as you said, an acer leaf. Mm -hmm. There's wonderful fire colours. Mm -hmm. They're lovely just to scatter around the place as well, you know, in a mm. willy-nilly way. Love yes, that. Yes, love it. 
Good old Chinese lanterns, but on to our floriography focus for this episode, the part of each of our podcasts where we research and uncover some interesting facts, messages, floral techniques, or histories. And this week we are focusing on a very decorative floral technique, and that is the technique of tablescaping. Tablescaping, yes. Are you a fan of tablescaping, Lucy? Do you know, I had never heard of it and I didn't know it existed until recently in our chats with you and making films with you. And I have to say, it's something that I'm really excited about getting to know a bit more about, Paulie. Marvellous, marvellous. Well, you know, it's sort of it's basically landscaping for the table and um, it's an activity involving the setting of themed dining tables in an artful, decorative way for social events and in a varieties of different categories for competitions really um it's a portmanteau of table and landscaping and it was coined by television chef sandra lee in 2003 sounds like a poem Mm. um (laughs) but these tablescaping creations are rigorously judged with points lost for glassware cutlery and plates and and other items missing or out of place while points can be gained for creativity or interpretation of a theme other criteria considered when judging tablescaping comp- competitively can include aesthetics, functionality, balance, and the corresponding fictional menu that would accompany the table's meal. Wow. Oh, I suppose so. If you did something like an Alice in Wonderland um, tablescape, then mm. perhaps your menu would be jam tarts and pots mm. of tea and all the things in the Alice in Wonderland story, maybe something like that. Yeah. Did, did they have mm. for a kid's of, party? Very nice. I was going to say an adult version should have a glass of champagne, perhaps. Always. Um, <laughs> but in the, in the United States, tablescaping competitions take place at country fairs and events around the country. Competitive tablescaping traces back to at least the 1930s. And, um, you know, it's not a word that tripped off many people's lips, but recently just seems to be thrown around hither and thither with great aplomb, Lucy. We love Mm. it. Um, But it's something that I've enjoyed doing for years, but obviously not in competitions, but just professionally and and at home for, you know, lovely having to do at home. Um, But I, I always say to clients when planning their party or event, the table is where you spend most of the evening. So the decorations have got to be beautiful conversation pieces because if you're stuck next to someone boring and at least you can say, oh, it's pomegranate's lovely, you know, or something <laughs> like that. Yes, quite. <laughs> yes. Anyway, but seasonal, celebra- celebratory and obviously um, relevant to the client and their lives and the reason for the party. Um, I really have to get into my client's heads when discussing all this, which is kind of um, half the battle one, really. Um, yes, it's gosh. Always, so that would be. Mm. So I suppose if you if you met, well, for example, for me, how would you design a, a tablescape for me? What would your what would your three words be to be be nice? What would your three words <laughs> be for a tablescape for me? Oh, that'd be 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 a bullient, yes. um, uh, full of fun and yes. lots of colour. How's that? Yes, love it. So I see you have to sort of do a bespoke. <laughs> I'd quite like champagne in there as well somewhere. But um, I see what you mean, that you'd have to do a sort of bespoke getting into your client's character, what their loves and disloves are, dislikes or whatever. There mm. it must be a really interesting to do all that, Paulie. Well, yes, and one likes to sort of, um, what's the word, aim high and um, thingy their expectations. What's mm. it called? Meet, um, meet. Yes, or go above and beyond. Mm-hmm. But when you're when planning your tables, 
blah, so I was wrong teeth this morning. When planning your tablescape at home, all the above factors need to be taken into account. I mean, but there are no rules in, in my world of tablescaping, uh, which is not a competitive thing. It's just sort of creating an, a lovely thing for your guests. But it's mm -hmm. all about having fun, using props from around the house and creating a gorgeous atmosphere for your guests and a sense of arrival, arrival and a feeling that heralds the start of the merrymaking is sort of pivotal for me. But first of all, think about the look you want. The choices are endless. You could go crazy and colourful with loads of tropical fruit and hot flowers, or, or you could go chic and minimal with all white flowers and green. I mean, it, you know, it doesn't really have to cost a fortune. Um, but just start with a bunch or two of lovely flowers from your florist and build from there, I think. Don't you think, Lucy? Mm, I think so. So it's just lovely that you can pick a flower, as you say, and then you can literally just orchestrate plenty of other members of the floral family and ornaments and jars and pots. and Definitely. Mm, I definitely, love it. Definitely. It's so creative. I mean, start off with one thing and then mix in some foliage and, and with your flowers and pot them in little vases, which will go with your look you've chosen. Um, you can nestle in herb plants funky orchid plants or some other house plants from around your house pile up the fruit i always think grapes and pomegranates add rather a glamorous look and sometimes if you're feeling a bit sort of what's the word really sort of decadent you could chop the chop the pomegranates in halves and nestle them so it looks a bit kind of like a roman you know yes a something delicious or other feast. Mm. Mm. feast that's the one mm. um then pop in some all-important candles uh, yep. in containers of your choice or some funny old candlesticks nestle in some fun ornaments as you said lou just now mm. and above all just enjoy it um have you done any tablescaping recently lou are you in the mood I've, for it i've never done it ever i've watched you do it a few times recently but i've never had a go myself no i mean but personally i think there are three tips there are no rules don't forget to group all your bits and pieces your ingredients because it gives it more of a kind of a generous look mm -hmm. uh, in swathes and more is more. Mm, but like um, my go-to look for tablescaping would be Grindling Gibbons. So Grindling Gibbons, I, I know you've heard me talk of him before. He was a very famous 16th, 17th century woodcarver who did wonderful things at St. Paul's Cathedral. Um, mm. A very natural and generous look, cornucopias of fruit, flowers, vegetables, musical instruments, and endless other pleasurable lovelies. A bit like those sumptuous Georgian and Victorian banquets when it was all about showing off your pineapples to your guests, you know, that sort of thing. It's, it's so weird to think that a pineapple was such a rare treasure and the ultimate in bling in, in days gone by. Did, do, you, do you like a pineapple, Lou? Love a pineapple. Absolutely love one, yes. Mm. <laughs> when I do tablescaping for a client, it's really nice to include something in the table decorations, in the, in the tablescaping, for them to take away as a little mm. treat. Lovely. Like a sort yeah. of party bag from the tablescape. Yeah, a favour, as they might say oh. in America. Like a little favour. <laughs> so, for instance, in the little autumn table delicious film we've done for our Fabulous Flowers TV uh, YouTube channel, which you must go and subscribe to, listeners, we did little hand-tied bunches in glass tumblers and these were just perfect for guests to take home. Um, or sometimes some herbs or other flowering plants are lovely for guests to take away and very sustainable. It's a very sustainable way of floral decorating because they can be planted in their garden. And I love that. We love a bit of sustainability. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as we know, floristry can be very wasteful. And it's super to add a little bit of greenness along the way when we can. So to sum it all up, tablescaping is the ultimate horn of plenty. 
and suggests generosity, indulgence, beauty and fun. And I'm all for those. Yes, I know you're all for those, Paulie. And I, too, would be right behind you when queuing up for those things. Um, so what did I find out? I found out that table setting became a Western craze in the late 1700s when the aristocracy used the practice as a self-expression form. Themed tablescapes have since then provided an escape from daily life into a fantasy world. Flatware, dishes, glassware and supplementary pieces kept being introduced, with the trend peaking in the Victorian era between 1837 to 1901, with about 20 expensive items per setting, which contributed to the table's shiny new look. Expensive candelabras soon followed as a way to display one's wealth. In the mid-1700s, ornate silver baskets called epens, or long-mirrored trays called plateaus, flowers and candelabras were used. Tablescaping has become better known since the rise in social media posts centred on meals that people share where they include the table setting. On Instagram in November 2019, Hashtag table decor had 1.9 million posts and it's now up to 2.6 million posts in October 2020. And the hashtag table setting had 2.3 million posts in November last year, that's 2019, and is now up to 2.8 posts in October 2020. So that is a lot of people getting more and more creative with their tables. I would say that's rather wonderful, isn't it, Paulie? Oh, my goodness. Yes, that's so interesting, Lucy. I had no idea that tablescaping had such a long range of history going all the way back to the 1700s. And it's so on trend now. We love that. I completely agree. I'd never heard of tablescaping, as I said, until you mentioned it and started doing it. So this has all been an incredibly steep learning curve for me. But hearing all these facts and watching you, Paulie, when you're creating your wonderful table extravaganzas, I am going to start doing them myself. But I'm thinking I might start small, maybe, and work my way up as I grow in confidence and ideas. It's just being brave, though, Lou. Yeah. And I know in your kitchen, you know, you've got a lovely dresser full of nickety news and old mm. sort of family mm. keepsakes. Mm. You know, a lovely old set on christening mug, a yes. you know, funny old oh, okay. nickety knacks, even a terracotta pot. Love all that. But mm. we do, in fact, have a wonderful new tablescaping film available on our Fabulous Flowers TV channel on YouTube. So please do search that one up. It's really a bit of creative fun for your table and something anyone can have a go at. You could do it with a friend or a family member together. And it's just all about fun. Yes, gosh, goodness me, Paulie. What a lot of fun and floral follicks we have had, haven't we, in this episode? So um, I've really enjoyed the Chinese lantern stories and facts, really enjoyed all the tablescaping. And yeah, what can I say? Another another great episode behind us, I feel. Absolutely. And if you feel like having a go at tablescaping, snap a photo, upload it, tagging us at Fabulous Flowers TV for us to see and share. And we'd love all our followers to see what you've done. It really would be so wonderful. Uh, we love other people's ideas and creativity and um, we're delighted to share it with everyone. Mm, yes, we really do love a bit of your floral inspiration. So please keep sending us all your tablescaping and indeed all your photos. And subscribe to our YouTube TV channel so that you get notifications when all these lovely new films that we make for you are released. Right, Paulie, I'm afraid it's that time. I must get out there and take Kerry the Collie for her walk in the woods. 
Um, I do love crunching through those leaves, I have to say, at this time of year. And who knows, I might even pick up a few sweet chestnuts on my walk for a little bit of a tablescape of my own. So watch (laughs) out for that one on Instagram, everyone. (laughs) But for now and until next time, it's a goodbye from me. Goodbye. Absolutely. And it's a big, big autumnal goodbye from me. Bye, everyone.